Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the Fandango? Thunderbolt and lightning very, very frightening me. Galileo Galileo, Galileo Galileo, Galileo Figaro Magnifico. I'm just a poor assistant, nobody loves me. It's just a poor assistant from a poor family, spared its life from this monstrosity. Easy come, easy go, will you let me go? Bismillah, no, we will not let you go. Let it go Bismillah, we will not let you go. Let it go Bismillah, we will not let you go. Let me go, will not let you go. Let me go, never, never let you go. Never let me go, oh. No, 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 no. Well, welcome to Patented, as a podcast all about the history of inventions from history hit. I am Dallas Campbell, as uh, Siri so kindly likes to remind me every so often. Guess what today's episode is about? Exactly. It's all about virtual assistants. Where the heck did Siri come from? Where, where, what? what? And also, where is it going? Uh, We usually like to go looking for the person who's written a book on the subject, but actually today's a bit different. I'm going to be talking to two people. First up, a good friend of mine, Ali Mags from Chaos Created. Uh, He's a games programmer and other things uh, about the history of virtual assistants. What was the first virtual assistant? Uh, We go back to looking at fiction and nonfiction. And then we're going to be talking to... The real Siri, the real woman who is the voice of Siri, the original voice of Siri, and that is Susan Bennett, the musician and voiceover artist who did the original voice. Although, guess what? When she recorded, did her recording sessions, she had no idea what it was for. She didn't know it was for Siri. The day that Siri showed up, which was October 4th, 2011, a fellow voice actor emailed me and said, hey, we're playing around with this new iPhone app. Isn't this you? And I went, what? So we've got a little bit of Susan coming up. But first up, let's talk to Ali and try and work out the origins of the virtual assistant. I'm 
very excited because I've got my friend Ali Mags on the show. Finally, you're here. Hi, Dallas. My real assistant. I should point out to listeners that Ali and I do teen tech together. Yeah. How do we describe teen tech? Well, we get young people thinking about technology and science and... Yeah, inventing and innovating. Yeah. But how should I introduce you? You're a computer programmer, games developer, all these things. Yeah, open games developer. And then sort of kind of related to what we're talking about, I've done a little bit of work with building skills for virtual assistants and chatbots in the past as well. You are exactly the person that we need to talk to today. (laughs) Okay, well, how should we structure this conversation? I think we should talk a little bit about the idea of kind of virtual assistants in kind of fiction, because we've thought about virtual assistants and they've been in, in science fiction for years and years and years, long before we had any actual virtual assistants. It's kind of interesting that, yeah, we, we've had sort of virtual assistants. We can talk to our spaceships mm. in sci-fi. We've been doing that since the 60s and 70s. And those sci-fi writers and, and filmmakers, they thought about how that technology would be and kind of predicted the future. Mm. And even though they had like Terminator robots and rogue AI, the one thing they didn't think about is how frustrating this technology can be if it didn't work. <laughs> like it never not works yeah. in sci-fi. What was the, the ship in Alien? It was Mother, wasn't it? Uh, m- mother in the Nostromo, yeah. There should have been a scene in Alien where Ripley says, wake the crew up from cryo-freeze and the spaceship adds 10 bottles of antifreeze to Amazon shopping basket. <laughs> exactly, and you've got to turn it off and turn it on again. Well, in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that happens, because I remember, well, there's lots of virtual assistants in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, other than Marvin, the robot, but there was the kind of door that sort of spoke to you. Mm. But I remember when Arthur Dent tried to make the heart of gold make him a cup of tea, it just sort of destroyed the ship because it kind of went into a, you know, it went crazy and the whole thing fell apart. There we go. That, that's my daily life. Exactly, exactly. I think I have a bit of a problem with virtual assistants, even though I loved them as a wide-eyed youth, you know, because I thought they were sci-fi. Now I just kind of find them a little bit annoying. So, yes, we've had them a lot in fiction. Yeah. Was there a first, can we pin down a first virtual assistant in the world of computing? It's quite interesting because virtual assistants is kind of lots of different technologies coming together at exactly the right moment in time with, with sensors, with AI with smart home devices, but you can kind of trace the technology back to about 1922. And there was a toy dog called Rex. (laughs) And this was the first thing that could respond to a voice command. And it only knew one word, Rex. And if that sound was heard, it would sort of shoot out of its kennel. And that was the first example of voice recognition. And what was the sort of technology? How did it work? It was literally listening for like an acoustic pattern. You could obviously trick it with similar words <laughs> and it would just shoot out of its kennel. And that was kind of like early on. And this is this years before a computer. I think there is something on YouTube. If you want to see Rex in action shooting out of his kennel, you can do that. So that was a kind of almost like those sort of 1920s mechanical wind up toys. Yeah. Pretty basic stuff. But fast forward to the sort of 1960s 1970s did ibm have something back then there was a kind of virtual some kind of virtual thing i'm not sure what it was yeah it was the ibm shoebox and it was literally a computer built just to recognize a few words and numbers from naught to nine yeah harpy was another one that was from carnegie mellon university what's harpy It was basically a tool that could master about a thousand words. So it had the vocabulary level of a three-year-old. 
But it was really interesting because it was the same scientist that developed that then went on to create sort of about 10 years later, digital assistance for medical care, taking notes for doctors, that kind of thing. Really basic. Mm. And we've got voice transcription services that use AI today. Yeah. But that was kind of the progression of that technology. And then we got into toys in the 1980s with dolls that you could interact with. Yeah. Did I have something like that? There was something I'm sure I had you could speak to. Was it like speak and spell? Did that have like voice recognition? I think it actually may have been the same company. There, there was Julie and Jill from two different companies. Julie came from Texas Instruments that I kind of always associate with calculators. Yeah, no, exactly. But yeah, they came up with a doll that could understand sort of key phrases. And actually, it was probably the first example of a piece of technology that would actually ask you questions. Like, would you like to play with me? Would you like to do this? Hmm, bit creepy. <laughs> when I think of virtual assistant, things like Siri and Alexa and... What was the other one? Cortina. Uh, Yeah, Cortana, Bixby from Samsung. There's a few of them now, yeah. I think it must have been kind of like early 90s. Microsoft Word, it was that wretched paperclip. And you'd start writing something. And it was like, it looks like you're writing a letter. I'm like, yeah, I'm writing a bloody letter. I can can write a letter on my own. So do we have any sort of history of like whose idea that was and where that came from? Yeah, Clippy. Clippy, that's right, Clippy. He's kind of thought of in a negative way, but actually has kind of come back into favour in recent years. You can get like Clippy Cosmetics in, in Halo now. There's memes everywhere. Clippy kind of came about out of necessity. If you sort of go back to computers in like the early 90s, we didn't have the internet. So software like Microsoft Office would come on like 12 floppy disks. And the problem was is people didn't know how to use computers. And the software was getting more and more complex and capable. But computers are sort of coming into the home for the first time and people didn't know how to use them. In fact, when you sort of bought a computer, you would often pay an extra £200 for lessons. And they'd come with manuals that were thousands of pages long. And you can sort of imagine if you wanted to do something in Word, but you didn't know the term, trying to look up in a thousand page manual on how to do something would be impossible. So they kind of had the idea that maybe we could have some kind of assistant built in that would do kind of the hard things for you like format a document write a letter which is kind of like the the famous one Hmm. and it kind of came about there was a product around sort of 1994 1995 called microsoft bob i've never heard of microsoft bob it's really cringy if you watch a video from microsoft bob it's terrible i think it was designed by melinda gates but it was a piece of software that sat on top of windows and if you think about computers windows and the mac They're all kind of built around like the sort of conventions of an office, right? You've got like a recycle bin, files, folders. Hmm. And this is the idea of actually presenting the user with a graphical interface. You would have like a home, for example, and you click on the calendar on the wall and then you'd be able to add something to your diary. Or you could click on like the envelope on the table and you would be able to write an email. And it was just the idea of trying to make computers a little bit more friendly. Clippy wasn't the first virtual assistant, but it was the first virtual assistant to basically go mainstream. Yeah. It would sit in the corner of your screen. And basically you could ask it questions like, how would I make this bold? How would I send this letter to my mailing list? You could sort of ask it questions. Where they kind of went wrong was that if you wrote dear at the top of a Word document, suddenly he would pop up and be really obnoxious and sort of be like, you're trying to write a letter. (laughs) And it would try and kind of take over, basically. But you've got to remember, things like Siri are cloud-based. Back then, we didn't have the internet. So it was the first example of AI, I think, in consumer technology. 
But the problem is if you wanted to update Clippy, you couldn't just sort of push something out there to update Clippy forever. You'd have to wait three years for the next release <laughs> of Office on floppy disks. But there wasn't any AI running Clippy. Like, Clippy didn't learn anything. Yeah, so actually it was. Clippy was kind of uh, like an early form of AI. And there was a couple of researchers at the time at Stanford University, Clifford Nass and Byron Reeves, and they were doing loads of research with how people interacted with their device. And what they found was that people at the time perceived their computers to be really smart and really intelligent. So if a computer didn't do something that you were expecting it to do, you wouldn't blame the computer. You'd feel terrible about yourself <laughs> and your level of skill. <laughs> right. So this is kind of the problem that they were trying to solve with Clippy to basically make it easier for you to use your computer. And to blame the computer when things go wrong. Which we do now. Yeah, we totally do. There's a branch of a sort of joke philosophy called resistentialism, which is basically the spiteful behaviour of inanimate objects. And I'm a great <laughs> proponent of resistentialism. Les choses sont contre nous, the things they are against us. And it's everything from... Um, you know, every time you approach a traffic light, it turns red. Every time you drop a piece of toast, butter side down. And computers fit into resistentialism very well. They very rarely do, for me anyway, I don't know, they very rarely seem to do what I want and they seem to have a spiteful behaviour. Which leads us on to Siri. Let's make that huge jump from Clippy to Siri. Should we ask Siri something? Hey Siri, hmm? who is Ali Mags? What would you like to know about Ali Mags? I want to know all the juicy gossip about Ali Mags. What would you like to know about Ali Mags? <laughs> you see, I mean, you know, <laughs> there you go, Siri. So tell us a little bit of history of, of Siri and where she came from. Yeah, Siri was a, like a spin-off as well. So Siri was developed at Stanford at the Scientific Research Institute and was basically spun off into a separate company. And it was an app on the iPhone initially. It wasn't part of Apple. It wasn't developed in-house. But they kind of saw how people were using this technology, acquired it, and then, yeah, built it in, integrated it into the iPhone. Talk us through that sort of leap in technology from something like really basic, like Clippy, to actually a virtual assistant that has voice recognition that can also search the internet and speak and do all these things. Yeah, this is all where, where we get into those technologies coming together at the same time. So you've got the voice recognition really good microphone sensors. You've now got AI, which has come on leaps and bounds. Because it's a connected device, it means that it can be updated really easily. It's always up to date. Machine learning, which is where a computer basically learns about you, thinks a little bit more like a human being. And then we've got all of these other things that these companies are doing. So if you think about Google Assistant, they've got the power of Google search behind it. So you can ask it quite intelligent questions and get good results. Amazon, again, with Alexa, have got their shopping system behind them. So they can basically guess when you're going to be running out of products and jump in and ask you if you'd like to order some more. But it's all of these things coming together at the same time. I suppose the thing is, it's fundamentally kind of changing the way that we interact with computers. The idea of having a keyboard and just sort of typing things seems to be on the way out. And we hear a lot about, yeah. obviously, the Internet of Things. Is the future going to be purely, hey, Siri? I mean, I think what we're talking about now is computers that can actually understand context because they've got so much information about you. They know where you live. They can read your emails and your calendar <laughs> if you give them permission. Yeah. But that could be really useful, getting notifications on when you should leave your house to get to a meeting if there's bad traffic on the way. All of those things can be super useful. And those platforms, the newer platforms, things like iOS and Android, 
even they've become more and more complicated over time. So being able to ask your device to do something and have it understand the context and your intent, that's really powerful. And that technology is now feeding back into other systems around accessibility, allowing people with disabilities to play games using their voice, like console games that would normally require a controller. It's, yeah, incredible technology. So let's propel ourselves 10 years into the future. What do you think with your magic eight ball and your crystal ball, what do you think virtual assistants are going to look like? Do you think we'll still have things like laptops? I think we will for specific use cases that, you know, there was a time where schools sort of replaced all of their laptops with iPads and then realized, you know, there's only so much you can do on a tablet. It's great for sort of consuming information, Mm. not great for necessarily getting work done. But I think that in terms of sort of virtual assistants, maybe in the future, they'll kind of come pre-built into the house your house will have these sensors in. You won't need to think about where the speaker is in your house or where your assistant is. It will just kind of be there yeah. for everybody to use. It's funny because I, I suppose for me, when I was a kid, I, the, the idea of virtual assistants, I just loved that idea. I love reading about kind of robot assistants and things yeah. that would do things for you. And the sort of reality of it, like I'd still prefer, still, I think I still prefer human beings, which, yeah. which is why I'm actually going to, after I've spoken to you, I'm going to talk to the real Siri. Let's try this. Hey, Siri. What is the meaning of life? Perhaps it's why? Why? Because it's the nesting doll of questions. Why? Because you can keep asking it into infinity. Why? Maybe we can never get to the bottom of anything. Why? Maybe life isn't about reaching an answer. Why? Maybe life is about asking questions. Huh, that's pretty good actually. Hey Siri, who does your voice? I do all my own voices. You can try them out in Siri settings. Oh, there we go. Anyway, I'm going to talk to the actual Siri voice. I'm actually going to say, hey, Siri, to Susan Bennett, who does the Siri voice. I'm really interested to see how it's affected her life, like, because we're so used to her voice. Do you think people kind of stop her in the supermarket and go, hey, Siri? I would. (laughs) I would. would. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I say what's kind of funny is, is actually the usage of the name Alexa has really sort of died off over the years because you wouldn't necessarily want to call your child... Alexa today, would you? Yeah, that, I had never thought of that, actually, because Alexa's not a common name, but I'd heard of it. Yeah. I think it was around 7,000 children in the US in 2015. It was down to about 1,500 last year. Yeah, I suspect no one's called Siri. No one's <laughs> called Cortina. What was it? Cortona. Cortana or Bixby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, hey, Ali, listen, thank you so much for coming on, for, for sort of teeing us up to give us a little bit of background on the world of virtual assistants. I'm going to go and talk to a real virtual assistant now, Susan. I shall let you know how I get on. And if I have any more computer issues... Just give me a call. Yeah. Clippy can't help you. (laughs) We'll be back after this short break. All this month on Gone Medieval from History Hit, I'll be asking, who really were the Vikings? How did they become so successful in spreading across Northern Europe and beyond from the late 8th to the 11th centuries? What are the stories we tell about them and what legacy did they leave behind for us today? I'm Dr Kat Jarman and throughout September I'll be examining the big questions about the Vikings with a host of experts and answering all of your burning questions about the Viking Age as well. So, for everything you always wanted to know about the Vikings, subscribe to Gone Medieval from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Right, so there you go. There's a little bit of history. Thank you very much to Ali Mags of Chaos Created for that. Now it's time to say, hey, Siri, not into my phone, but to the real Siri. So please welcome... Susan Bennett. Let's find out about how she became the voice of Siri, kind of by mistake. Hey, Susan, welcome. You know, the most exciting thing I read on your website, in fact, I have your website up here. You were backing singer for Burt Bacharach. Yes, that's one of my favourite things too. (laughs) I'm a massive Burt Bacharach fan. He's my total hero. Really? Yeah. He's fantastic. I have a great story about that. You know, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was with Bert for a fairly short time just for a Southern tour. Mm-hmm. And it was starting in Atlanta. So he had the penthouse of a Holiday Inn. So those of us that were singing backup vocals were up in the penthouse with him. He's sitting at a piano that they'd gotten for him. And we're all gathered around the piano. And he looks at me and he says, Susan, what do you think about this part? And I kind of went, he's, he's talking to me. He knew my name. <laughs> wow. What? The world yeah. needs now. I just, I, honestly, since I was a kid, I, it was actually, I remember watching Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and the Burt Bacharach score to that movie. I was obsessed by that score. And then I just consumed all, but anyway, sorry, there's nothing to do with what we're talking about. Well, I you was, know what's really typical of him is the movie What's New Pussycat? Yeah. Very, very crazy sort of just unexpected music, especially for the time. He was way ahead of his time. Yeah. Just brilliant. Yeah, that's the Tom Jones one. Yes, amazing, uh-huh. amazing, amazing. Um, Hey, listen, we've been doing a little episode about the history of virtual assistants. So I thought we would go to the horse's mouth. Okay. You are the horse. You're the horse in in my, sorry, in my analogy. But you're you're a musician first and foremost, and then you got into voiceovers. Mm -hmm. I was listening to some of your hold recordings on your website as well. Yes. Your call may be recorded for quality and training purposes. Or my favourite is, please press one. Nice. (laughs) It's funny because when I was listening... To those, I'm like, I totally have heard your voice a million times calling people. I think you have. Yeah, you can't escape me, really. <laughs> no. Okay, well, here's question one. You're the original voice of Siri. Yes. 
Is this a curse or a blessing? Well, I think it kind of depends how you look at it. When I first heard that I was the voice, it it felt like a curse, especially because uh, Apple didn't pay any of their original voices. There were four original voices. And we were paid, of course, to do our recordings, but we weren't paid to be on millions and millions of phones and iPads and everything else. So that was a little weird. On the positive side, we are the only ones of the Siri voices, and there have been many at this point, who can promote ourselves because we don't have a non-disclosure agreement. Oh, that's nice. So you're allowed to sort of trade on I'm the voice of Siri because you're the original voice of Siri, weren't you? You, you I am the original, but there were three other originals. Okay. Uh, The one that you probably know this gentleman, John Briggs, he was a BBC announcer, and uh, he was the first, you know, Siri voice in England. His name was Daniel instead of Siri. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I I didn't know that. So I'm fascinated. So you're at home doing the dishes or whatever, and your agent calls and (laughs) says, you've got a voiceover gig. Did they say this is going to be like Siri and every human on earth is going to... You're totally getting this wrong. All of the IVR recordings were done in the early to mid 2000s. They continued to be done, I believe. These recordings were done for all types of voices like GPSs and, you know, Siri and then eventually Alexa and all the others. And those of us who had done those original recordings thought that we were just doing generic phone recordings. We had no idea we were going to become these personas. And so we knew nothing about it. Agent Smagent had nothing to do with it. All of a sudden, out of the blue, we were Siri. So these kind of recordings, were they like scripts? Like, how does it work? Or do you just have to make sounds and then they manipulate the sounds? How does it work? Well, the recordings are all created for sound, not at all for meaning or content. And so the phrases and sentences we had to read were strange and nonsensical. Can you give us an example? Cow hoist in the tub hut today. Say schist fresh issue today. Militia oi hallucinate buckra okra ooze. Yeah. And so we did that for many hours a day, which is why I've lost a lot of gray matter. (laughs) Sure. Did you just think, oh, they're just taking the piss. They're just having a laugh with us. They're just making us look stupid. No, no. And then we had to read things that were repetitive. Just changing the vowel. Say the shrouding again, say the shrading again, say the shrouding again, say the shreeding again, say the shredding again, say the shredding again. And it had to be done, all of the work had to sound consistent because when they went in to, you know, extract the sounds, they didn't want one sound to be up here and another sound to be down there. So it had to be very consistent, sort of monotonish, mm. same pitch, same tonal quality, you know, same pacing. So, yeah. I'm glad that gig is over. (laughs) And so the idea is all these these sort of nonsensical sounds, clever people can take those sounds and manipulate them into meaningful words. Yes. Gosh, so what year are we talking about here? My recording started in 2005. Crikey, that's like pre-iPhone. Yeah. Siri showed up in 2011. Right. So they knew that all of this stuff was going to be happening because they'd started working on AI, I think, in the 1960s. And so it took them all that time to be able to come up with a you know, an interactive voice. And how long, like how many days were you stuck in this booth? The first session, sessions were in July of 2005, four hours a day, five days a week for an entire month. For a month? 
And those were just the initial recordings. Crikey. And then after I found out I was Siri and I bumped my rate up, <laughs> we had to exactly. come back for, I guess, about four more months of stuff. Wow. Yeah. And so you recorded all this stuff and it was going to be used for, I guess you thought, generic GPS things and that kind of stuff. Take us to the point where you were like, holy crap, I'm the voice of Siri. Like, did Apple get in touch with you and say, oh, by the way, we're going to be using all your no. strange... No, I've never heard sounds. word one from Apple. You're kidding. Actually, my agent heard from them because we tried to get me paid for the 12 national commercials that my voice was used on. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, no, 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 we didn't hire her as an actor. We just used her voice as a piece of technology. And so Apple had a much heavier, larger bank of lawyers than my union did. So guess who won that one? <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. But that's the way corporations work. You know, it's, it's certainly not the first time. Yeah. But I found out the day that Siri showed up, which was October 4th, 2011, a fellow voice actor emailed me and said, hey, we're playing around with this new iPhone app. Isn't this you? And I went, What? And I went on the uh, Apple site and listened and, oh, my God, <laughs> what do I do about this? Mm. Yeah. And so, you know, you call yourself the voice of Siri. Did you do that straight away? Did you go, hang on, this is good. I can sort of remarket myself as the voice of Siri. No, I didn't think about it that way. My first thought was, oh, man, I'm the voice of Siri and it's such a ubiquitous voice. I'm never going to work in voiceover again. <laughs> you know, I figured, oh, well, oh, she's Siri. No, no, we, we don't want that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, as, as things turned out, good old Siri ended up giving me a brand new career. I started doing speaker events. COVID kind of got in the way of that. Mm. But it was very cool. I mean, I've traveled all over the world to do uh, Siri events. So it's, it's sort of like a, a huge life lesson. You know, you kind of get thrown this thing that you weren't expecting and you figure out a way to spin it to the positive for yourself. So that's what I tried to do. When you say you go over the world to do Siri events, like what do you mean by Siri event? I do speaker events for different conferences, mostly tech conferences. But a lot of people just, I mean, I did a big thing for the Girl Scouts. You know, it's just, a, it's just kind of a quirky, interesting thing. And um, most of the jobs have been within the United States, but I did go to Croatia for a big conference there. Nice. And Australia. London. Have not been to London. Now you need to start working on that. Well, because my <laughs> podcast has such a massive outreach, we'll certainly get you here. I've got to ask you, I don't know what your sort of thoughts about the sort of technology in terms of virtual assistants is. I mean, do you use them? Are you a fan? Have you kind of been converted because it's you? Do you find the whole thing just a bit weird because it's you? Well, I definitely don't talk to me. I don't talk to Siri. The only time I try to talk to Siri is for directions. Hmm. But now all she does lately is say, here are the options I found. That's so good. That's yeah. not much help if you're driving a car. You're absolutely <laughs> okay, right. Let me read these five this. options. Oh, dear. I crashed. That's the, uh, yeah. When I ask, where's my phone? I'm going to, when I ask Siri questions, <laughs> let, let me just try this. Because when I ask Siri questions, she doesn't do anything. She just says, here's what I found online. Yeah. And I want to have a meaningful conversation. Hey, Siri. Mm hmm Who is Susan Bennett? Susan Alice Bennett is an American voice actress and a former backup singer for Roy Orbison and Burt Bacharach. Oh, they got the Burt Bacharach at the show. That's quite good. Yeah, see, they don't say that I was the first voice of Siri. Ah, interesting. She used to say that. They've changed that all. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. But I'll tell you, I was given credit by Steve Wozniak 
you know who he is. He was I, Steve I Jobs' know, partner. Yeah. And I was at a tech conference with him. He was the one that inspired me to do a speaker event after I, you know, he said, you are so comfortable on stage. I said, well, I'm a singer and I was an actor in school and I am comfortable on stage. And he says, well, you should do this. You should do the speaker stuff. Mm. And I thought, maybe I should. Yeah. And presumably people were going to ask you to do sort of personalized Siri messages for their sort of friends and family. Yes. Yes. It doesn't happen that much now. I mean, it, originally when, when Siri was brand new, that was something. Yeah. But most of the people know who Siri is. And I don't get bothered by anyone just on the street because my speaking voice is up here and the original series voice was down here that was how Siri spoke yeah so they don't put two and two together usually what about alexa do you sort of have kind of professional envy is there a kind of original <laughs> the first alexa no but i know who she is i've uh, zoomed with her oh man you should totally have like a, an event together yeah, she does have a non-disclosure agreement. And for many, many years, people didn't know who she was. But some charming character decided to write a book about it and outed her. And so everyone knows who she is, but she isn't allowed to say, yes, that's me. Because she has a non-disclosure agreement. So Ah, there you go. There you go. She can't use it, you know, the way I can use the Siri name. <laughs> yeah. Trouble is, when you use the Siri name and everyone knows it, people are going to ask you things all the time. The original Siri had a bit of attitude, if you know what I mean. Mm. And so sometimes if someone asks me a question and I don't, you know, want to answer, I just say, oh, I'm so very sorry. I don't care. <laughs> That's nice. See, I prefer the real Siri to the one in my phone, definitely. Yeah, yeah and I think you should. It's just nice. <laughs> it's just better. It's just better. Susan, listen, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure talking you are to you. Most thank welcome. you for giving us the finishing touches to this episode of Patented, which is all about the history of virtual assistants. I was wondering if you could say a few things to us in Siri just to round this off. It depends. I can't do anything that's a promotional thing because then I would have to oh, make really? you pay. Yes. Sorry. Can you say goodbye? Thanks for listening. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening. There we go. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review if you have. It would be very nice and it would be very kind of you. We'd love to hear what you think of the show, so don't forget to get in touch with any ideas or stories that we should cover. Next up, kind of a, well, sort of a controversial one. It's the story of PowerPoint. Love it, hate it, it is here to stay. Uh, and coming up later in the month, we're also going to do our mini-series on the invention of forensics, which started off as one episode, but has morphed into several episodes because it was such a big and fascinating subject. So you've got that to look forward to. I shall look forward to your company next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive, 
and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch. Download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes, or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code Patented at the checkout, you get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.